This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. Welcome. Let me maybe talk about what is actually a key ceremony. Let's say you yourself build for yourself privately build a way to store crypto assets. Let's be easy and say you use a hardware wallet. What are the things that you would consider important to do during the initial setup? What of those things do you think should be, you should have a checklist for, just for yourself? What do you have, should you have a checklist for so that if like half a year later you're nervous about, hey, did I do it correctly? You can go back to your checklist, check, did I, ever, did I do everything correctly? Let's start there. You should have a checklist with all the steps you need to do. Let's say like, where, where do I keep my recovery seed or seeds, however you choose in your model, and then you can still access them, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think we maybe have to be one step more specific. Let's say we use a Trezor hardware wallet. What are the steps that you do during setup of the Trezor hardware wallet, and um, how should the checklist then look like? What are the steps? First, you verify the box in which your new Trezor arrived. Mm -hmm to check the seal, like it also shows you when you plug the treasure in that this is actually, there was no supply chain attack or someone had access to it before, that would be step one. Mm -hmm. That's for uh, supply chain attack between treasure and you. Of course, it does not uh, cover any supply chain attacks at Trezor or maybe before Trezor. Uh, if they got compromised random number generators or anything so like that. That's why the next step, that's before the box is opened, then you open and then you, that you check the firmware. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a fingerprint or anything from Trezor, then you can check that it's actually the software from Trezor on it. Yeah. I think Trezor does not show you a fingerprint. That thing would show you if the firmware does not uh, verify. So you would just see, uh, you can bring your own um, firmware actually on a Trezor, uh, but then it shows you deep red saying, hey, this is an insecure firmware. You can still use it though, um, but during boot it would, it would show that. Yes, what's next? Then you need, a, then you need um, should be in a private place, preferably your home, yeah, not no in cameras. public, no cameras. Then you should have- Why is it important to not have cameras around? Because if I write down the seed, I don't want anyone else looking at that seed or sitting in Starbucks where there's a camera where I don't know where that feed goes to, who has access to it. Okay. Not a good idea. Okay, well, that, that's, that's quite valuable already. So we, you, during the setup of the Trezor, you initialize that Trezor. It, it rolls with its internal random number generator, 12 or 24 words. Um, and then you have to do uh, a backup. So you, you have to, to export these words out of this treasure and write them down in a way that you can later access that. Okay. That's why you don't want a camera. And you want to be alone also. Right? You want to be alone, yes. Let's say, uh, let's say we're not using a treasure. Let's say we're using a, a digital bitbox. Digital bitbox has a different concept there. In order to export the, the seed, um, they do not show words on a screen that you then have to, to write. Um, that to copy by pen and paper, but instead digital bitbox has USB with which it communicates with a laptop or mobile phone or whatever, and it has a micro SD card slot. The way that you export the seed is that you put in a micro SD card. Um, it puts the, the, the seed on that micro SD card in a PDF format that is very easy to read. Um, then you take out this micro SD card and put it away. Um, so at no point during this uh, initial setup 
do you actually see any of the words on any screen or have to copy any of those? With such a system, would you still say it's important to not have a camera around? Yes, because for Trezor as well as the digital big box, you still need to set the pin codes, right? Okay, yeah. Which okay. I also obviously, there it's if no one has access, at least if, as long as only you have access to the device, someone could see that, but best practice would still be that nobody sees that when you set that up. That, that's true, but um, with, the, with the pin shown on... In, uh, at least on the box, you see it for a short yes. time in clear text, so someone could copy that and st then steal your box. so I would still want to do it alone. Sure, but uh, with the pin I'm a bit less nervous because yes. the pin you can change later. Yes. So you could uh, also do the, uh, the initial setup with camera, and then when you go home, uh, you change the pin again. Right. Um, so I think the, the, the point that I wanted to come to here is um, the amount of key ceremony. So the amount of, of checks on this checklist, the amount of operational steps that you do uh, very much depends on what hardware you use and which way the hardware tries to help you in that. Right? And Digital Bitbox has this, um, this philosophy of key material is toxic waste and no user should ever be exposed to toxic waste. While uh, Ledger and Trezor, um, they, 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 they have a different philosophy. I, I'm not going to judge, right? Every, all of that has, has benefits and disadvantages, but they have a different philosophy in that uh, you really just write down words. Uh, it's very different. What are the things that you, or why do you need to, to have an initialization or some sort of key ceremony, some sort of operations when you uh, initially um, start that thing? Why do you have to have that at all? What are the things that you, uh, that you protect with, that you, that you achieve with that? Number one is um, to make sure that the, that the keys that are on the device are actually good and random keys. Right, let's go back to Trezor Ledger. They both have that and also Digital Bitbox allows you to, uh, to instead of initializing it, just recover keys from elsewhere. So uh, when, you, when you start the Trezor, it asks you, do you want to generate new keys or do you want to enter your 24 words? Right, and if, you, um, if now Berner would give me a device and um, tell me, hey, uh, this is a device that I initialized for you, um, I would be very hesitant and, and using that uh, because she could have just um, entered words uh, herself. So those, those might just not be good random numbers. She might know those random numbers, right? So that's, that's one point. Second point is uh, you want to ensure that you can create a backup, right? Or that you do have a backup. So uh, as part of the, of the key ceremony, um, you have some sort of creating a backup. In the, in the case of, um, of Trezor and Ledger, that's writing down those words, uh, maybe splitting them across multiple locations, whatever you want to, to build on top of that. In the case of Digital Bitbox, it's making sure that, uh, that this microSD card, which, which just carries the seed in an unencrypted way, uh, that this microSD card goes where, where it belongs in some secure location. It's not maybe... Um, just like bait and switched by somebody who, who has um, fast fingers. So the goal is to make sure that you have some sort of, of, of backup. So for me, that's a reason why part of the key ceremony should also be 
the recovery, especially if it's your, for your private use. Yes. Or like with the digital big box where, where I have the feeling that it's more like you don't write anything down, right? So can you be sure that something is saved on the SD card so that you actually do the recovery with the SD card before you put something on it? Yes. Um, yes, you should. Uh, I would more put that onto uh, practicing recovery. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's necessarily part of the key ceremony uh, or if you can also do that later. You can. Um, but it's, you should, in any case, you should do that like before you put relevant amounts um, of assets onto that thing. And the third point that is, that is often used that I'm not quite sure I really subscribe to that is interoperability. That's if I have a, a treasure and have these 24 words, I should still be able to, um, to, to recover my funds from those 24 words alone uh, without actually having a treasure. So if Trezor maybe uh, stops building these devices or, um, or a fork happens in one of the chains and, and Trezor decides to, to not go the, the way that I want them to go, right? So maybe they do, uh, there's the Ethereum, Ethereum Classic fork. They support Ethereum. I want to access my Ethereum Classic. Oh, that way it would not work. The other way around, doesn't really matter, that, that I can actually recover my keys themselves into some other solution, maybe into um, Electrum or into, uh, into a ledger to be able to recover something even without the help of Trezor. That's a point. Do you advise on doing that? Well, this, this third point is one that I'm, that I'm like on the fence for private use. Of course, it's like, especially in these fork situations, it's, it's, it's useful to be able to do that, but it's also very, very, very powerful to be able to do that. Like the, uh, the necessity in this to, for interoperability means that you have to deal with the raw keys. You cannot even deal really with like encrypted keys or uh, wrapped keys or uh, sh Shamir secret shared keys or whatever. Uh, you can of course share it later, but not as part of the, of the initial setup uh, because then you lose interoperability. And I, I would very much advocate for not exposing, I think it's more important to not expose the operator or the user for, um, to, to raw key material than it is to build this interoperability. And it also means that you need a second trusted solution, right? Which is already two solutions you need. Yes, and, and let's be very clear about that. Um, if I ever do any form of recovery using the seed, uh, no, matter, no matter what you do, no matter how good it is, do that for recovery and then immediately move the coins off. It's not as if, um, like if, I, if I have Trezor and at some point I decide I no longer like Trezor, I now want to import them into Ledger, uh, that I continue to use the same seed on a, on a Ledger. If there is a need for, for recovery, that means that something was compromised or not working. Uh, that means that I had to execute a recovery procedure and that if any of that happens, uh, I would consider those keys like compromised, burned. So move all value onto, onto a new set of, of keys that you generate on your new solution. So I don't, I mean, the interoperability is, if at all, important for recovery, uh, not for uh, like on-the-fly switching solutions. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, um, so those are the three main points. And uh, remarkably, I did not talk about one point that is, or Berna mentioned that, that briefly, but that is, actually verifying the, the source code of the device, actually looking at what certifications, some Creative Commons, some 
FIPS 140 certifications, it, um, all of that is like a given. You have to be able to trust the technology, but in addition to the technology, you have to also execute some operations. So usually there are two types of ceremonies or two ceremonies being executed. One is like with the vendor who does the certifications, who does, does guarantees on, on the devices, uh, who has uh, reviews, source code reviews or, or certifications on that. And then there is you as the user using that. And that setup is like what's traditionally called the key ceremony. So what if you do a key ceremony where you produce a key with dice and pen and paper, then you don't have the, the vendor thing, right? Yes. Or like according to the Glacier protocol or anything like that, yes. then this is less of an issue. Then that is less of an issue, but, uh, but the key ceremony, the operations, the checklists become even more of an issue. Yes which is why the Glacier protocol is like 87 pages, I think, somewhere around that, of manual on how to set up a laptop for cold storage of your own um, coins, not used for institutional um, setups. It's, it's like 87 pages, not because, uh, because it's so, so, so densely written and you need that, um, that much knowledge, but most of these 87 pages is actually just checklists. Like uh, the, the more rudimentary your technology is, the better your your key ceremony has to be, the better your operations has to be. It's a, it's a scale, essentially. Yeah. So either you're uh, on the completely operations um, side, that would be Glacier Protocol, where you don't use any technology except for a general purpose laptop that you buy just straight new from a factory, two of them actually. So that's, and you use dice, that's the one side, no technology at all. And the other side, I'm going to talk about in a second. And hardware wallets are like in between or more towards the, the tech-focused side. Paper wallets are maybe more towards the, the operational side. So everything moves on that scale. So there are three objectives. First, make sure that it's the integrity of the keys. Second, backup. Third, interoperability. I will drop interoperability now for the reasons that I mentioned, which is like interoperability is just another word for redundancy in a sense. If you can solve redundancy in a different way, then, then importing it into a second deployment of a different um, stack, then, then you don't really need that interoperability. Um, and it's kind of very similar to the backup or rather to the recovery. It's, a, it's an alternative recovery scheme in a sense, this interoperability. So how about, uh, what, what, I, what would you say if, um, I mean, we already talked about if you, if you don't expose the keys, then you don't really have the need to make sure that there is no camera around. Let's say the, the, for, for the first one, integrity of the keys, um, I mentioned that, uh, that the Trezor and Ledger and Digital Bitbox, all of those have, the, have a way of importing keys, right? importing a seed. What would you say if I had a hardware wallet, which is just completely incapable of importing any keys? Right? Of course, you have to trust that this device actually does not have that capability, but that comes back to certifications of the device. So that's kind of a given at this point. Um, if it's not possible to import any keys, no matter what you do, then, then that part is actually solved. Right? Maybe I'm a bit, um, uh, please interrupt me if, if, I'm, if I'm being a bit too fast, but if Bernard would give me a device of which I can verify the, that this device is actually running the correct firmware and that kind of stuff, she initiated it from me. But I know this device does not allow any type of like external initialization. It only allows by its technology initialization 
like from its own, from, from, from random numbers that it, that it rolls itself. That would be much less worried taking that device from there. But at some point you could run an issue because if you only have these devices, how do you import your old keys? If I lose my hardware wallet and there's no devices around that can import stuff, hmm? keys, yeah, okay. I have an issue so, so not all the solutions can be like that. Yes, that's true. Uh, that, that goes to the second um, thing, which is like creating a backup. Uh, if I have a solution which cannot import anything, then it can also not really recover any, 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 ex any backup that I exported from the device. Right? So, so that's like, seems as if this is not possible. For retail uh, devices, I think it is indeed not possible. And you have to, to, to make that, you can again talk about, do I prefer the micro SD card over writing down words? But I think it's, it's really not possible. But let's, let's imagine you have um, like hardware wallets that if you have one which is set up and another one which is like factory new or reset or whatever, and you just bump one into the other and that copies the key material from, from one to the other. Nothing was exposed. Uh, nothing really had to travel in an outside way. Nothing was written to any medium, at least not in any unencrypted way. It's copied from one to the other. Let's just take this as a premise for two minutes, say, okay, I have such, these devices. I cannot export the key material from the device. I cannot import key material from the device. I can only generate it there. And I can like magically, if you want, duplicate these devices onto, onto new devices. And I solve redundancy, not by making a backup on a, on a piece of paper, but by creating 10 of those. And all 10 of those um, are identical devices. Chance that all 10 of them die is, is zero. Uh, I can distribute them. Um, they all have them pin and conditions under which, when can I use it, that kind of stuff that, that comes on top. But if I have such a setup, then I would claim there is no need for a key ceremony. So would you agree that there is then not really a need for checklists if the technology of these devices itself somewhat makes it impossible to use it in any way except for the proper ceremony? You still do a ceremony. I hate that word, actually. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but you still have to initialize the device at some point. Yes. Um, you have to set up like who has access to what, define yes. rules wherever that is made. But that is for me the ceremony there. Is there actually a key on there? Can I generate addresses from that? Yes. And yes. You have to read out the addresses. All all that other stuff, operational wise, you have to do around it. That's for me also kind of a key ceremony. Yes, also I agree. Um, because that's, uh, that goes into uh, um, the integrity of the keys, not only like um, are they, were they generated there, but also with which conditions were they generated there. Let's, let's take very easy and, and pretend that fingerprints are perfect. Say you could have a hardware wallet uh, which says uh, three out of those fingerprints uh, need to be present in order to, to use any of this key. Like, let's pretend this is possible then of course I want to be able to, to know which five fingerprints and how many of these five fingerprints. So there are two ways. Either during the initialization of that device, you feed that information in of those five fingerprints, three, and then you have to have checklists and people and everybody present, or, or you just build the device such that, that the device itself, you can just look at the device and it tells you those are the five, three of them are necessary, and look at what are actually the conditions. And if you are satisfied with that conditions, only then will you transfer money on it. So instead of 
uh, having uh, like that many eyes with this ceremony. You can also have any arbitrary number of eyes later to verify. And if you yourself are getting nervous half a year later, you don't get out the, the checklist and see, okay, who signed off on that we did this correctly. You can just get the device out and say, okay, the device says three out of five, those five done. As long as it's at any later point verifiable and like trustably verifiable what the conditions are for the, for the keys inside, there is not really a need for creating it in a particularly secure way. Everybody would just look at the way that set up before interacting with them and that's it. But that implies that the, the first ceremony, the one for the technology, for the device, yes. needs to be perfect. Yes, but it also needs to be perfect for a treasure. Yes. Good. So by, by, by going from something which is 80% technology and 20% operations, to something which is 100% technology and 0% operations, we went from having to have two perfect ceremonies to having to have one perfect ceremony. Good. Are there any opinions or any questions? Good. Good. Thank you very much. Thanks. This episode was brought to you by CryptoFinance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch